from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds looking fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear leaves and debris with the 40-volt leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at the Home Depot and on homedepot.com. How doers get more done. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey guys, I hope you enjoy these classic episodes from the TDI HC Vault. I'm currently researching a new crop of stories for next year, so be sure to join me again on January 2nd when we return with all new episodes. Talk to you soon. Welcome to This Day in History class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy B. Wilson and it's December 8th. Christina of Sweden was born on this day in 1626 in the old-style Julian calendar and in the new-style Gregorian calendar that was December 18th. Her parents were King Gustav II Adolf and Maria Eleonora of Brandenburg. They were the king and queen of Sweden. And her father had grown very concerned about whether he would have an heir. Before Christina was born, her parents had been through two stillbirths and the death of an infant daughter. There were other people close to the line of succession who had plenty of heirs, so this was cause for concern. When Christina was born, slightly premature and in a call, the midwives announced that the king had a son. And it wasn't until the following day, after a lot of celebration of the birth of a long-awaited heir, that the midwives finally admitted that they had made a mistake and that they should have said Christina was a girl. This has led to some speculation about whether Christina was intersex or whether her body was just ambiguous or whether it was a matter of poor lighting and the midwives seeing what they really wanted to see. Everyone really, really wanted a son. Regardless, though, the king decided to raise Christina as a prince. He warmed up to the idea of having a daughter, but he raised her in many ways as a son. As she grew up, this suited her just fine. She was not 
very fond of the things that women were expected to do during the day. And her father wanted her to learn to ride and fight and handle a bow, and she did all of that. Not only that, she did it really well. She really enjoyed it. Her demeanor was just not at all what people thought of as feminine. So it wasn't all that uncommon for royal girls to have the same education as their brothers and their male cousins, but it was pretty uncommon for them to have been as excited about fighting and hunting and whatnot as Christina was. When Christina was five, though, her father died, and her mother, whose behavior and emotional state had become increasingly erratic, took her away from her home and the cousins that she'd been living with where she had been pretty happy until that point. Even though she was the only daughter of the late king, Christina's ascension to the throne had to be approved by parliament, which was known as the Riksdag. They ultimately did approve, and by the age of 14, she was attending council meetings. She became queen at 18, although her formal coronation wasn't until she was 23. By the time of her coronation, though, she was already thinking about abdicating. She had pulled some strings to get a cousin named as her successor, insisting that she had no desire to marry. It was the same cousin that everyone wanted her to marry. And she did finally abdicate and move to Rome and converted to Catholicism. She seems to have had some second thoughts about this abdication later on, though. She tried and failed to take over the throne of Poland-Lithuania, She hoped to become the Queen of Sweden again after that successor she'd had named suddenly died at a young age, but none of that worked out. Christina wasn't ever known as a particularly good ruler. I mean, she did decide to abdicate before she was even crowned, but she was an extremely learned woman. She spoke multiple languages, including, of course, Swedish, plus Greek, Latin, German, French, Flemish, Italian, Spanish, and Finnish, with also a little Hebrew and Arabic. She helped start the first Swedish newspaper in 1645, as well as Sweden's first public opera house and its first universal public school program. She collected a huge amount of art and literature. Her collection of books and manuscripts later on became part of the Vatican Library. So even though she was maybe not the greatest as a queen or a king, depending on how you wanted to look at it, she did other stuff pretty well. And she died in 1689 at the age of 62. You can learn more about her in the October 20th, 2014 episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class. Thanks to Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays for their audio work on the show. You can subscribe to the Stay in History Class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever else you get a podcast. Tune in tomorrow for the establishment of a state. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Business, it's all the things that keep this world turning. And behind every one of these companies is a partner helping to keep it all moving. It's why the local flower shop and your favorite pizza joint, the startup in the stadium, hospitals and hotels, banks and restaurants nationwide, all choose the advanced network, cybersecurity solutions, and round-the-clock trusted partnership from Comcast Business, the company that powers more businesses than anyone else. Comcast Business, powering possibilities. Restrictions apply. Call or visit ComcastBusiness.com to learn more. Hey, y'all. I'm Eves. Welcome to This Day in History class, a show where we one day ship nuggets of history straight to your brain through your ear hole. The day was December 8th, 1864. French sculptor Camille Claudel was born in Fair Untardenois, France. A lot of emphasis has been placed on her relationship with sculptor Auguste Rodin, but Claudel herself was a prolific and acclaimed artist. Claudel was the oldest of three children, born to Louise Athenaise Servaux Claudel and Louis Prosper Claudel. They weren't rich, but they moved from time to time because her father was a civil servant and they lived comfortably. They stayed for a while in Villeneuve-Sophère, in Bar-le-Duc, and in Nujan Sassin. Claudel took an interest in art early on, and while her mother was not too fond for her love of art, her father supported her. So did her brother, who became a noted poet and playwright. As a child, Claudel created clay-modeled portraits of her family members. While the family lived in Nujan Sassin, Claudel's artwork attracted the attention of prominent sculptor Alfred Boucher. Boucher advised her father to encourage her art and enroll her in an art academy. Around 1881, Claudel, her mother, and her siblings moved to Paris, while her father stayed behind for work. In Paris, she continued to train as a sculptor. Only men could attend the École des Beaux-Arts, a prestigious art school in Paris, but there were private academies that allowed women to attend. Claudel began attending the Colorosi Academy, where she met her lifelong friend, Jesse Lipscomb. The first sculptures that Claudel completed at Colorosi are her earliest surviving works. Boucher mentored Claudel while she was in Paris, and he visited Claudel in Lipscomb's studio to advise them. Boucher soon left for Italy, but before he left, he asked Auguste Rodin to take his place and tutor his protégés. By that time, Rodin was not yet considered a master, but was a celebrated sculptor. Claudel and Rodin then began a complicated, years-long relationship in which Claudel became Rodin's assistant, model, collaborator, and lover. Under Rodin's mentorship, she was able to study the nude figure and anatomy. While Claudel continued to produce her own artwork, she also contributed to many of Rodin's sculptures. Rodin's assistants, including Claudel, were integral in shaping Rodin's reputation as a prolific artist. Many art historians suggest that Rodin and Claudel influenced each other's artwork. The pair's romantic and professional relationship lasted for more than a decade. But their relationship began to fall apart when Rodin refused to leave Rose Beret, the mother of his child whom he lived with. Letters Claudel wrote showed her resentment of Rodin and Beret, 
Still, she was productive, and her art was recognized in the 1890s. She exhibited sculptures at celebrated salons and in galleries. But in the early 1900s, Claudel destroyed a lot of the art she worked obsessively to create. Even though she had some support from art critics, she became more isolated in her studio and struggled with money. She also grew obsessive about Rodin's indiscretions. After her father died in 1913, her brother Paul had her admitted to an asylum near Paris. And the next year, she was transferred to a different asylum. For the last few decades of her life, Claudel remained in the asylum. She gave up sculpting, and even though doctors recommended she be released, her family wanted her to stay in the institution. She died while hospitalized in 1943 and was buried in a mass grave at the asylum. Though a lot of her work was destroyed and her artistic success overshadowed by her relationship with Rodin, many of her sculptures and drawings survive and are celebrated for their dynamism and portrayal of emotion. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you have any burning questions or comments, you can leave us a note at T-D-I-H-C podcast on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. And you can send your thoughts or comments to us at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you same place tomorrow. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Business. It's all the things that keep this world turning. And behind every one of these companies is a partner helping to keep it all moving. It's why the local flower shop and your favorite pizza joint, the startup and the stadium, hospitals and hotels, banks and restaurants nationwide, all choose the advanced network, cybersecurity solutions, and round-the-clock trusted partnership from Comcast Business, the company that powers more businesses than anyone else. Comcast Business, powering possibilities. Restrictions apply. Call or visit ComcastBusiness.com to learn more. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History Class, a show that tries to look at both sides of important moments in history. I'm Gabe Luzier, and today we're looking at the origin of the heated cross-strait relations between the inhabitants of Taiwan and those of mainland China. The day was December 8th, 1949. 
the defeated nationalist forces of the Republic of China established a new capital on the island of present-day Taiwan. The nationalists, also known as the Kuomintang, were led by soldier and statesman Zhang Kai-shek in a long-running war against the revolutionary Mao Zedong and his communist forces. The ROC government's forced retreat to Taiwan signaled that the Chinese Communist Party had finally won a civil war that had raged for more than two decades. To understand how that war began, we need to go back to 1912, when a Chinese revolution put an end to the Qing dynasty. Rather than continue the 2,000-year tradition of imperial rule in China, the rebels instituted a one-party military dictatorship known as the Kuomintang, or KMT for short. To further cement the change in leadership, they also renamed the country, declaring it the Republic of China, or ROC for short. However, many citizens were dissatisfied with the new regime. They wanted a government that adhered to the principles of communism, not nationalism. This unrest led to armed rebellions across mainland China. Eventually, the scattered rebels organized themselves into the Communist Party of China, or CPC for short. There were now two rival governments vying for control of the ROC, and in 1927, their conflict escalated to full-scale civil war. By 1949, the war was finally winding down, with the KMT losing more and more ground to the communist forces. On December 8th, nationalist leader Zhang Kai-shek was left with no choice but to abandon Nanjing, which at that point was the capital city of China. By moving the government's capital to Taiwan, a hundred miles offshore, Zhang Kai-shek was effectively acknowledging that he and the KMT had lost. As far as Chairman Mao was concerned, he had already won the war two months earlier. On October 1st, he claimed victory by asserting that mainland China was no longer the Republic of China, but the People's Republic of China, or PROC for short. He also proclaimed that the new capital city was Beijing. To go along with the new name and the new capital, Mao also established a new communist form of government, which was modeled after that of his Soviet allies in the USSR. So to summarize, by December 1949, you had the victorious communist forces of the People's Republic of China on the mainland, and the defeated nationalist forces of the Republic of China on the island of Taiwan. However, even after fleeing the mainland, Zhang Kai-shek didn't give up the KMT's claim of Chinese leadership. He and his two million nationalist followers set up the same government in Taiwan that had previously ruled on the mainland. This means there were now two separate entities that each claimed to be the one true China. This situation became known controversially as the Two Chinas issue. 
But today, the dispute is a bit more nuanced than it was when both governments asserted themselves as competing republics of China. At the heart of the argument is a disagreement about what Taiwan is. The Chinese government, aka the PROC, views the island as a renegade province, a piece of itself that is broken away and which someday must be reclaimed, perhaps even by force. As for the Taiwanese people, most today don't consider themselves Chinese. They feel the island is now a separate nation, whether that independence is officially recognized or not. After all, Taiwan has its own constitution, democratically elected leaders, and even its own armed forces. It has pretty much all of the characteristics of a sovereign state, but because of its thorny origins, its legal status remains disputed. As for the rest of the world, most countries officially recognize the PROC as the ruling party of China, with some nations also recognizing the sovereignty of Taiwan. Back in 1949, many foreign governments had hoped the nationalist move to Taiwan would make it easier to cooperate with both competing governments. However, this proved more difficult in practice, as it's hard to acknowledge the terms of one party without upsetting the other. Relations between China and Taiwan are contentious and somewhat precarious, but the peace has held so far. The Chinese government continues to push for reunification, while the Taiwanese government spurns all such advances, asserting independence instead. It's an open question whether or not decades of tension will once again erupt in armed conflict. But one thing that everyone agrees on is that there aren't two Chinas. Though why that is exactly depends on who you ask. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you'd like to keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to send them my way at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thank you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 
This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.